Today's reading is Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said that it was. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, "You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn." You have heard that it was said, "An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth." But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, good morning. Uh, Good to see you all here. Thank you for that scripture reading by team, by committee. That was good stuff. Um, that was just fun to, fun to do that together. Um, hey, before we get into it, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and uh, it's just, again, great to have you all here. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, a c- couple things by way of introduction. If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I have a stutter, so it'll kind of come in and out as we go, um, and I uh, just want to give you guys a heads up on that, um, so you're not trying to f- figure it out. It's not the chilly weather we've had here in the morning. It's been so nice. Um, Also, just to kind of point out, some of you are like, wow, I'm under the spotlight right now. These lights just turned on in the back. Um, As was said earlier, we we, um, get to worship every Sunday in like an over 100-year-old school, which even that is just, it's just cool. There's a lot of history here. And um, part of that history involves um, light panels that completely go out and are antiques. Like this school was around before electricity was like invented or discovered, I guess you say. And, um, and then, and so this uh, light panel, we were like, oh, the lights went out, quick fix, right? And they're like, actually, that's an antique. It doesn't work. They're, they don't make those anymore. And so we're trying to figure out all that situation, but it's been really dark. And we've had some people say like, I can't read my Bible. You encourage me to read along and we hand out Bibles and then you're like, I can't see it. So for those of you that, okay, we'll know who's really into reading their Bible during the sermon because it's whoever's in the back because there's lights back there. But um, just a heads up, kind of Full disclosure there on how we function here. Um, And uh, again, I'll just say too, this little connection card 
please do fill it out. Um, I, with that, though, I'm the one who writes an email to these. And it's not like a mass email. I actually write it out. And um, I may or may not copy and paste, kind of a general part of it. But um, I do write it. And I say, come introduce yourself. So Jenny, at the beginning, said, come up and you know, or fill one of these out. So if I've like known you for years, and I still say, come up and introduce yourself, it might be because I, I don't remember who fills out these cards. And I'm going. So just a disclaimer there. But I would encourage you, though, to fill that out. Um, also, Jenny said something RC here, okay? That's not insider language that you have to know. I want to take a minute and just to share with you what that is. It's Redemption Communities. And it really is the best thing um, that we do here as a church. I mean, I love what we do on Sunday morning. We gather to worship corporately together. We don't want to downplay that in any way. It's a really important time, and we'll even get into that throughout the sermon, that, that really this is a shaping time, and historically for thousands of years, the church has gathered together to corporately worship and to walk through the story of God through our time together. And at the very end of it, okay, we'll say the benediction, the sending out of God's people um, to go. And something that we often say is to live all of life all for Jesus. Well, the best way you can do that and really function in that and be equipped to do that is through community. It's through getting plugged into a group of people that you gather together week in and week out, eat some food together, talk together, dig into the scriptures together, walk through what God's doing in our lives, praying for each other, living on mission together, right? Engaging your neighbors, all these things that's really fleshed out in community. That doesn't just happen by, you know, showing up uh, once a week for an hour and a half. Um, so just want to encourage you. Those are kicking off this week, and there's more information out there. You can fill out a Connect card. I mean, we'll inundate you with information if that's what you need. And also with that, you can just check out a couple of different ones. Um, you know, you know, it's not like you're locked in the first time that you go. You can go see which one's a good fit where you can be blessed and be a blessing. Um, amen? And this is kind of a call and response type deal too. So just a heads up if you're new. I'll, I'll ask for a little affirmation um, that, you're, that you're with me every once in a while. So um, with that, uh, we're going to get into our sermon. We have got a ton to cover this morning. Last week we had three verses. Uh, this week we have like almost 30. Okay, so we're, I've got it. I, like I said, I have a stutter. Okay, so that's a lot of work for someone with a stutter to try to cram that much in. And also, I don't have time. I'd love to abuse my position here and every week give a little commentary on the football games from the day before. And I'd love to do that. Trust me, I'm tempted, but I won't. Okay, I'll, I'll exercise restraint. Won't get all into all this um, every week. So we're going to get into it. So turn with me in your Bibles. Um, and those of you who can actually see your Bibles too. Um, but yeah, get get with me to uh, chapter 5 of Matthew. If you're new, um, you can always look at the front, the table of contents, find out where that is. And if you um, don't have a Bible, why don't you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you a Bible. Okay, again, I want you to be able to follow along, especially this week as we're covering so much. Um, so to También si necesitas la Biblia en español, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Um, and uh, so I said, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep this, okay? This is our gift to you. We want you to be able to have a Bible that you can read and understand and follow along in your own language. And, um, you know, understand, uh, underline stuff, put your name in it. And um, as, as we're getting there and turning there, let me just give a little, little bit of groundwork before we dive into this. Because remember, last week we talked about those three verses where Jesus, in, uh, where, where, where Jesus talked about 
Um, he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he's saying, um, the big idea there was that Jesus comes to fulfill the entire Bible, what at that time was known as the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament as we call it. Jesus says this isn't like a completely new way of doing things. It's out with the old, in with the new, anything like that. He was saying, no, it's all telling the story of God, the true story of the universe. Um, it, it, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is telling the true story of God. And Jesus is the author and the hero of the entire story. And that's essentially, in a nutshell, what um, he said uh, last week. <laughs> what we looked at in those three short verses is him saying, no, I've come to fulfill this whole thing and to establish the people. He says he's coming to bring transformation on a level that shows up in real everyday life so that his people, through faith in Jesus, can live out the very righteousness of God. And this week is where we start to get really, really practical. Okay, so, so, so get, your, get your pens out if you're taking notes. If you, if you don't have one of these, um, it's a little notebook. They're really, it's um, $3 and it follows through the entire sermon series as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's broken up into each one and you can follow along and all that. So um, really encourage you. I think we have some more of these left. They're out at the Connect desk. So again, three bucks, um, it's helpful. And if you don't have $3, just share that. At, you know, we can, we can work it out. We want you to have one of these. Um, this week, Jesus is going to talk about, again, the really practical implications of what that transformation looks like in our lives. Because Jesus comes to save and to transform a people, and that shows up through him completely reshaping our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. Okay, as we've said before, Jesus doesn't just come to save you from something, but he comes to save us into new life. Okay, he saves us from death and into life. And so what I want to ask you, this question, okay, look at me and, and kind of lean in here is, is there any aspect of your life that's off limits to him? Is there any little nook or cranny in your heart where you either outwardly or maybe even unknowingly just say, ah, don't, don't go there, God. That's not for you. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that part. Because now as we walk through these six element, I just held up 10. Um, <laughs> I didn't go to ASU, promise. You I know how to count. Six aspects of um, life that he gets into here. He gets into uh, anger, lust, making promises, divorce, what it looks like to retaliate when somebody wrongs you, what it, what it looks like to relate with your enemies, all these different elements of life. And he says, you, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's doing there, what he's doing, to, especially to those people in, in here that will see the audience that would have been hearing him, and I submit to you, to you and me today, is he's surgically digging in and he's saying, is this, is this aspect of your life off limits to me? Because he's coming to bring real life transformation that's radical. And God's calling us throughout this next span of time we have together. See, I'm not giving specifics. It might be a little longer than normal. I'll do my best. But, but what he's doing is he's showing, he's saying, you're, you're called right now to have a radical self-evaluation. And for those who call ourselves Christians and say, yeah, I follow Jesus, yeah. He's saying, oh, okay, do you, what does this look like? Has, has my gospel, the good news, has it, has, it, has it transformed this part of your life? 
And for those who say, I'm not a Christian, I'm here to just kind of check this thing out, to evaluate, I'm to, uh, my prayer is that he will expose the good news that he comes to radically transform every, every aspect of your life. Okay, so with that, let me pray and ask him through, 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 through God the Holy Spirit to empower and equip us to, to actually dig in and to surrender every part of our heart before him as we surrender and come under his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we... Um, we thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword that, uh, Lord, that, come, that you have given to, uh, to transform us and to change us and, 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 to, uh, and to continue to um, conform us into the image, the very image of God through faith in Jesus. So I, I trust that you have a, a good work in store. And um, on behalf of everyone here, we submit before you and we ask you to change us and to speak to us and to shine the light of the gospel, to, to, to Lord, to lead us to repent in, in faith and in hope um, from the areas that you haven't, um, that haven't been laid bare before you. Uh, we uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, beginning right here, getting after it in, uh, in verse 21 together. And again, I'm not going to hit on everything, just a little disclaimer, I can't, I'm, we'd be here for days. Um, some of this could be, each of these little sections could be its own sermon. We're, we're doing it as a whole, by the way, if you're wondering, because this, this is, Jesus just kind of is like rattling off here, okay? He's getting on a, he's, he's a preacher, all right? And he's preaching right now, and he's getting into a flow, and so he doesn't pause and dig in and, and you know, parse verbs and get into anger and stuff. He's doing this, and he's saying, the anger, boom, 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 lust, boom, 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 divorce, boom, boom. And again, the, the cohesive message is, is, does every facet of your life, um, is it surrendered? Is it being transformed? Does it reflect heart change that he came to bring through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead? Okay, so that's why we're just blowing through this whole thing and um, uh, again, get into an RC because that's what we can dig in and kind of press in all the more. You have heard that it was said to those of old, verse 21, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you, now we'll get into the nuances here more and more as we go, but um, again, just like last week, what is he saying, what is he not saying? You've heard that it was said, dot, 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 but I say to you. Okay, he'll say that six times here in a row. So what's he saying? Is he saying that whole Old Testament the old law, the, the Hebrew Bible, everything you've been following and reading to these people for, you know, uh, for a long time, for thousands of years, the law and the prophets, forget it. It's new. But I'm saying to you, here's a new thing, right? That, no, that's a cult. That's the definition of a cult. It's just, you know, hey, I've got special saving knowledge for you and forget everything else. And um, no, Jesus isn't saying that. What happened in their day is that people would interpret the scriptures in their own way and then they would create traditions. And they even had something called the Mishnah. It was, a, it, was a, it was a collection of traditions that they held to more tightly. And you'll see as he goes along here is that these people would hold on to like tight-fistedly would say, this is what the Bible says. This is what, you know, like, it, like our example our day would be, you know, God helps those who what? Help themselves. Who said that? Benjamin Franklin, that's right, not God, not the Bible, Benjamin Franklin, okay, but a lot of times we say these things and we're like, yeah, it's, it's in the Bible somewhere, dangerous words, by the way, if it's in the Bible somewhere, it's, you know, it's in there, and people would do that, 
So that's what Jesus is getting at here when he's saying, you've heard that it was said, and really what he's implying is he's saying, you've wrongly heard that it was said, and you've been shaping your lives and living your lives religiously in such a way that does not uh, correspond with the full counsel of God, the law and the prophets, the Bible. So in this case, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then he goes on from there. It, right? Like, if, if the bar is set to be a flourishing human being is like, don't kill anyone else, that's a pretty low bar. Right? I don't know that we're thriving as, as society, if we're thriving as humanity, as people, um, if that's our goal. In fact, my thought is, um, Jesus really wouldn't have needed to come. In fact, we wouldn't really need God, and we wouldn't need to be here. It's like, we could probably do that, right? I think, my guess is. I mean, look around, you're like, I don't know, that guy looks, he's got that look in his eyes. He might really, but like, if the goal is, you know, don't kill anyone, okay, thanks, we got it. Like, we can do that. And, that, and the way these things, all these worked as it went on, is people would have these rules and be like, okay, don't murder but, you know, whatever else is going on in my heart, you know, doesn't really matter as long as I'm following the rules, as long as I'm kind of checking all the boxes. And Jesus wants to expose, he wants to connect the dots here and say, no, 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 you don't stand above everyone else and evaluate. He's saying, no, God, Almighty God, who created you, who created your heart, who knows what's going on in there, that's what he's concerned with. That's what he's evaluating. Do not murder, yes, it's the sixth commandment, okay? God gave it. But these people, and our tendency too, is to draw the line wherever we want to draw it and say, okay, well that, if you do that, and it's usually like I stand here, the line's drawn like right here pretty close. Everyone on that side of the line, like bad, okay? Murderers, bad. Okay, but over here, like I'll just go along and I'll do this and I'll, I'll kind of decide where anger, where righteous anger starts and stops and where all this stuff goes on. And Jesus is just blowing that up and just saying, no, 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 like look at your heart right now. Radical self-evaluation. What's going on in there? If you have anger toward your brother, you'll be liable to the judgment. He's connecting the dots that a murderous heart yeah, can, 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 can unfold and result in anger, but can also show up in every different way, in our, in our driving and how we relate with other people and how we relate with our, with our spouses, with our kids. Okay, this, this stings. This, this hits home for me. Um, I've shared some stories with you guys before that you know this is something I really relate with. Right, a short guy with a speech impediment, youngest of four brothers. You think I got a little anger in my heart? A little, you know, like this is, and this isn't just um, like, oh, dismiss it here and go along. And there's, there's opportunity for us to justify away. Yeah, the first question is, um, and something that maybe we need to hear is, is all anger bad? No, it's not. And we could get into that, but I don't think that's where we need to go because, like, am I right here? Amen. Like, most of our anger is not righteous anger. Right? Amen? Am I all alone here? Like, we, we want to go there. We want to be like, well, what if this happened? Well, they, you know, and yes, I just talked at one of the college groups this week about Jesus turning tables and all this stuff, and it's the angry Jesus. That, but he's angry for God's glory and the good of others. 
And then, and most of our anger is like, no, I'm going to get mine. You disrespected me. And, and this is where most of our anger comes from. In fact, when Jesus says here, um, he says in verse 23, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So our version of that here and what we do week in and week out is we come before the communion table, what's called the Lord's Supper. And that's where we come and we participate and we remember, we come before this kind of version of the altar of God and we remember that Jesus laid himself down as the sacrifice for our sin, his body and his blood given for us so that through faith in him, we no longer um, live in fear and, and we no longer live um, w- anticipating the wrath of God poured out on all those who have put their faith in Jesus because we come and we see and we remember and we participate in this. And, and the version of what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to come and do that, you're going to come up and take communion. Do some self-evaluation. If there's someone in your community if there's someone that you avoid, that, that if you're like, okay, I'm shopping at the grocery store, and if I come around the corner and come face-to-face with that person, it's going to be really weird and really awkward. He's saying, hey, why don't, before you go do that, before you do this religious offering, go talk to that person. Go say, hey, do we need to, to, do we need to reconcile? Do I need to, I need to confess sin to you? Do I need to ask you to confess sin to me? Do, do we need to have forgiveness? That sounds crazy, right? We could insert a million justifications for why. Well, I mean, that's just weird. That would, I mean, come on, that's going to be really weird. I'm going to go and climb over like 20 people in these loud seats and, hey, can we go talk outside? And, I mean, how's that going to work? It's not practical. No, no. But Jesus is saying, like, you know what's going on in this day? And their version, this is right before Jesus offered the final sacrifice once and for all where he laid his life down and all that I just shared. And he said, this is the new covenant and, and come and take this in remembrance of me and take communion. Well, in their day before that, these, it was still grace, okay, God's undeserved favor. And, and what, what they would do is they would go to Jerusalem from wherever they are. They would go to the temple, the place where they would offer sacrifices before God and that, and, and that they would trust that God's wrath would be, that he, his grace would be given to them through their faithful offering of a sacrifice, bringing an animal, and they would say, this animal um, is spotless and blameless and, and without blemish as best as I can, and it's brought before, and, and it's going to be sacrificed so that God's grace, he accepts this because um, God's wrath is diverted, and he's, he's now forgiving me because I put my faith in him, and I offer this sacrifice as a display of that. Are you following me? And so that's what would happen there, okay? These people would travel, in this case... Jesus is preaching in the hillsides of Galilee, northern Israel. A week journey to Jerusalem to offer your sacrifice. Financial costs, right? Time off work, all this stuff to do this. And if you're there offering a sacrifice in Jerusalem and you remember, oh, I've got issue with my brother or sister, with my neighbor, leave it there, he says. Weak journey back. Be reconciled. And then make that trip back. And then offer your sacrifice. That's, oh, clearly that's not what Jesus is saying, right? Justify away. We just, that's our propensity. That's all this stuff. As I, as I asked us all at the beginning, does, does Jesus have full access to your heart? 
Okay, think right now, would I, am I quick to justify away all these applications that he's calling me to? The application of a radically transformed heart that shows up in real life, as he gets really practical here, how quick are you and I to just justify it away? I mean, but how much more rich would it look like to come and to take communion having reconciled? Having taken that weird step to go and say, hey, to even if it's maybe just sending a text and saying, hey, I, I know it's been weird between us, but let's talk. Let's talk this afternoon, you know. Um, you know, I, I love you. I'm sorry. I want to I wanna work it out. We'll do it, okay? And then, then to come and to take, and then to come and, and experience the reconciliation that Jesus accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection, to take communion and to think, wow, that reconciliation that's really hard and kind of awkward that I'm now pursuing with someone else, how much greater that I'm able to do that because I've been reconciled to God through, through Jesus, how much more would that maybe equip us, right? That's weird. That's crazy. That, that's, no. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus is bringing, that kind of transformation that really shows up in our lives. And that's what he's saying here. And, it, and, and the whole point here is reconciliation. Because as he comes and reconciles us with our creator, it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just mean, okay, now just bury your head in your Bible. No, he says, now, yeah, that is true. And continually remember that and then live that out in your relationships. Live out the good news of the gospel when you're coming, when you're going, when you wake up, when you lie down. Live this stuff out in this way. Reconciliation, it's radical. It's crazy. Right? I get it. But it's what Jesus came to bring us into. And then he goes on, one that none of us really relate with. Lust, verse 27. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, again, if the bar is set at don't commit adultery, like when I officiate a wedding, some of you who have been to weddings I've officiated, um, I usually do say, all right, uh, you know, groom, say this, say this after me. I promise, I promise to try my hardest, to try my hardest not to commit adultery. All right, good, cool. Um, all right, now, 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 bride, say after me, I promise to not commit adultery, or to try my hardest to not commit adultery. All right, guys, you're great. This is going to be a successful marriage. Go for it. Um, I now present to you husband and wife. Like, that's ridiculous, right? If you, by the way, if you're considering getting married and you're starting off on the foot of like, let's just really try not to commit adultery, you're kind of destined for failure. All right, that's a, that's a scary marriage where that's your goal. Don't commit adultery. But in a lot of ways, the way we go about these things is we, we, we settle for really attainable goals that we can live up to, and then we keep everything else off limits to God. We say, don't speak into that. I'm not going to commit adultery. He says, you've heard that it was said you must not commit adultery. That's true. That's the seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments. And he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Guys, this should sting. This should sting. He really is saying, if you have looked and lusted after another person in your heart, you've committed adultery. We're in a room full of adulterers right now. And, and we, again, are so quick to dismiss that. We're so quick to function as, 
uh, you know, boys will be boys. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Everybody's watching it. It's the, it's the show. It's, what, it's relevant. This is archaic. I'm liberated and free. Right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a sexually aware person, and so now, and, and we just justify away here. And Jesus really does blow this up and say, listen, if your whole goal is, is don't commit adultery, don't act it out, then you're, you're settling, and you are so blind to a holy and righteous God. Again, if that's it, did Jesus really need to come? Do you really need to put your faith in him? Do you really need to be here? Do we really need to entrust our lives to him if that's the goal? And, and, and we need to recognize that we are swimming in absolutely polluted waters. Okay, our society right here, even this phrase, do not commit adultery, is, I mean, in that day, it's like, yeah, of course, don't do it. That's not true in our day-to-day -day in society. I, there are movies, there are romantic movies. I was going to say romantic comedies, but some of them aren't even comedies. I remember this one. Some of you might love this. It's an oldie but a goodie, I guess. I remember watching this movie a long time ago, uh, The Horse Whisperer. And it's this, this and it's, it's this, and it's, there are a, a million versions of this same movie, right? Like if you, especially romantic like comedies or What's the other word? I don't want to say chick flicks. That'd be bad. But whatever the, other, that, whatever the appropriate phrase for that is. Um, those kind of movies, it's like they're all the same, right? Same storyline. It's all going, all this stuff. Well, the horse whisperer is something like this. It's a, it's a husband and a wife whose marriage is kind of broken. And then in that case, the wife has, has an affair, an emotional affair. And it's really beautiful, and I think it's Robert Redford or Sean Connery or one of those guys, you know, um, and it's like this whole, okay, I'm just entrusting, you know, this is beautiful, and oh, look, he's giving her what her husband isn't, and she feels loved and welcomed and all this stuff, and then you, and then I don't think they actually, like, go all the way, you know, and then somehow the marriage, and, and I don't know how, but it's like, that's like celebrating, like, oh, that's a good movie. No, that's, that's, that's ugly, and tragic and broken and so, so, so common. And we are swimming in abs. We're drinking polluted waters. We're showering and we're making, you know, we're splashing around in waters that is, that is leading us to think like, don't commit adultery. Well, if you're really in love, you know, if you find your first love on Facebook and then you go back to, to that first love and you leave your wife and your family and all this, like, hey, as long as you're being true to yourself, as long, you know, Hey, you know, and we don't even use the word adultery anymore. And so, so Jesus says this, and he says, you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery. And, and those people are like, yeah, of course not. Well, in our society today, we're going over here. We're going in this direction. Like, well, maybe not. Well, guess what? Jesus has taken it even further in this direction. He's not just saying don't commit adultery. He's saying if you commit adultery in your heart, you have already committed adultery. You've already gone there. And how quickly we just dismiss this. He, he really is saying, dig into your heart. Evaluate your, your life. Evaluate your habits. Evaluate how you relate with, with, with the opposite sex. Evaluate, um, are you able to pray for or with a brother and sister in Christ? 
Are you able to hear and hear, hear, hear things in a community or are you unable because your mind is just going there because you've been so polluted by, by over-sexuality? In every way, guys, you know, heterosexuality, um, homosexuality, we've believed the lie that our sexuality defines us and that God has indeed absolutely given us our sexuality and given us that in the context and the relationship that he's defined and yet we have taken that. This is idolatry. We have replaced the creator with the created and we've taken what he's given us and the boundaries and the, and the ramifications and the way that he has given us to live this out and we've said, forget all that. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to now be defined by, by what society says I am and by what I feel like I am and by all this stuff. And we just remove him and we go there. And Jesus is calling this back. He's calling for a radical, um, a radical re, uh, re restoration of who he has created us to be as his people. And he goes on in verse 29 and he says some seemingly crazy stuff, right? If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go and be burned in hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to, to, to lose one of your members, to lose your hand than for your whole body to go into hell. And for your whole life to be defined by, 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 by this kind of distortion and this kind of brokenness in life. And I have to say here, just A, to kind of cover ourselves maybe, and just like, he's not saying literally like pluck out your eye and literally cut off your hand. One man origin, some of you guys might have heard of this, actually like cut some other stuff off. And um, in order to, he took this and was like, I'm lustful, I'm sinful, all right, I'm going to just some, you know, cut some things off and I'll be good then, I'll be fine. And he wasn't. But similarly, radically, Jesus is calling for the extreme surgery that needs to take place in our hearts. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we see this kind of picture. The author there, Paul, says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put to death. Search and seek out. Seek to destroy. What do you and I do with our sin? Do we protect it? Do we coddle it? Do we keep it, you know, that's... Ah, you know, save it for a rainy day. Yeah, I'll set up a filter, but I'm going to be very aware of this, this other, this alternative route I could go. You know, I, I'm going to do these things. What do, we, what do you do with it? What do you do with your, with your sin? Jesus is calling for, for a seek and destroy approach to where we don't just have accountability groups with people where we confess, hey, I, I slipped up again, and um, man, it's a bummer, and, and then someone else is like, yeah, I did too, I slipped up too, and then we, we don't do this, but we're kind of like high five, like, oh, thank God for grace, and all right, all right, you, you good, I'm good, let's go, let's go, we're done here. And just we have these where we just feel better. Now hear me, hear me, look at me. Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Adultery acted out on in marriage Jesus came face to face with an adulterer. 
And he said, go and sin, more. Go and sin no more, I forgive you. Your father forgives you because she was at a place where she was so aware of her sin that she came before Jesus and said, essentially, I have no hope. I I am so broken before you. I am deserving judgment. She didn't justify a way. And in that place, Jesus said, 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 now you're set free. You're, you're right. You are in a place of death. Your heart is wicked and broken and you've come before me and I give you restoration and healing. Now go and sin no more. If you have been truly saved and freed from sin, you will have the desire not to, just, not to just protect sin, not to just keep it safe for a rainy day, not to coddle it and, and pet it and, and keep it close and snuggle with it and, and justify it and find friends or have a splintered community where, oh, I go to this church in the morning and this one in the evening and this, this is my community group over there and no one really sees my everyday life and I just, I live because I want to be in control, I want to be safely protected protected and removed from everyone else and, and this kind of thing. And no, he says, put it to death. Put it to death. It's radical. It's crazy. This is not, okay, this is not, well, Game of Thrones, everybody's watching it. It's really cool and it's, it's just, it's neat and it's, and whatever else, Netflix and whatever else I'm watching and, and, and all these things and, and what happens in Vegas, all these things. It's No, it's, man, I have an adulterous heart and by God's grace, I need to be set free from that. And on this point, lastly, let me tell you something, church. It's, um, it's usually not an overnight transformation. Because God needs to bring us to a point where we see his beauty as greater than that of a naked woman. We need to be brought to a place where we understand that, that God's affection and that our acceptance before him and his delight in us and the attention that we get from him is greater than the attention of him or her looking back at us on the screen or across the table. And that doesn't just come. It can. I pray that it does. In my own experience and in my observation in life, often what happens is this, is that God is reestablishing an appetite, is giving us a desire for him and for his glory and for his goodness and for all that he has shown himself to us and so that we come to a place where we see that, that his beauty and that his, his delight in us is so great that we don't go looking for love in all the wrong places and that doesn't just have, that comes from, from, from burying ourselves in the gospel, from spending time with him. It's not just, hey, have your quiet time, check off the box and go on with your Christian life. When you're, when you're in, in wartime mentality, when you're seeking destroy when you are laying yourself bare before God in every way, that spending time with him takes on a whole new look, right? Can you imagine what it looks like now for us to continually want to come before him and read his word and pray and say, God, as I spend this time with you in the morning or in my lunch break or in the evening, God, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you reveal the, the parts of my heart that have been off limits to you? Would you show yourself in such a way that I will see you more clearly and that I will begin to continually develop an appetite that longs for you and that sees what is broken and unhealthy and sees what is good and, 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 and glorious and healing and life-giving? 
even our time here in, in church together on Sunday morning, as we said, this is God is doing a reshaping of our hearts. He is taking us through his story, creation, fall, redemption, the cross and resurrection of Jesus, and restoration where we look forward to the final day when we no longer battle with sin, but we live fully restored and fully in light of the righteousness that we now have in Christ. And, and so we go through that, and each week we're being shaped. Sometimes we don't even know it, but he's transforming us through our times together and through our time in his word, and through our community, and through our time with him individually. And I spent a lot of time on those because I think, again, those are the idols, if you will, of our day that we are just absolutely getting devoured by. I'm going to pick up the pace a lot here because we've still got a lot to cover. And closely connected to that is divorce. In verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And he's, he's hammering on divorce here because, again, similarly connected to that, he's, he's showing, listen, your sexuality, your whole, you've, you've, you've been, you've, you've kind of given yourself over to, to um, if, it, if it satisfies me physically and sentimentally, then, then it's good. Then, then, and, and in this case, he's talking specifically to men, mostly. Okay, I know that, that, that women struggle and are tempted with pornography and divorce and adultery as well. That's not like, oh, that's the men's sin and this is the women's sin. Like, that's not how it works at all. But in this context, he's, he's mostly uh, using language, right, that, that talks about, about women, about men committing adultery with women and about men divorcing women because in this context somewhat like ours too, is the men were in the place of power and privilege and the women were in the place in that society, in that context of, of usually being the ones who were blamed and also the ones who were victimized. And, and usually God is in the habit of calling out the powerful and the privileged and saying, are you using that power and that privilege that God has given you for his glory and the good of others? Or are you using it for your own glory, your own gain, your own satisfaction, and to push others down? And again, usually God comes and speaks on behalf of the marginalized and the victim and the broken because and the vo vo voiceless. And that's what he's doing here. And that's, that's what Jesus is doing by specifically calling it out in this way. And they, they said crazy stuff in their day. You have heard that it was said, whoever divorces his wife, give her a certificate of divorce. Well, guess what? That was said kind of in Deuteronomy in one place where it says if a woman is unclean and that was even a little bit unclear and it was the rare exception but these guys in their society much like ours today had taken it and it just made it to be all about them and they literally were like if she burns my dinner I can divorce her and so as long as I give her a divorce certificate right as long as it's in you know we kind of split things and it's okay and I don't have her killed which was often the case in this society then hey, I'm good, and I can now marry another woman. And what he's saying is, no, guess what? Your new wife, you're causing her to commit adultery because you weren't actually divorced in the right way. You, you, you weren't actually, divorce is a concession. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And these people, just like us today, have taken all these things and made it work and form and fit to, for, for their good. And they, and they had so many nooks and crannies in their lives that kept God out. 
And as we move on here and just kind of keep picking up the pace even more, I want to tell you, okay, settle in with this. I know this is incredibly uncomfortable. I hope it is in some cases. I hope that, that, that the Holy Spirit is poking and prodding at the places in our lives where we have kept him out. And yet again, hear me. These things are not the unforgivable sins. What, what it's meant to do, what Jesus is doing right there and right now is calling us to himself. More open, more eyes wide open, soberly aware, saying, come and do the work in me that you need to do. This isn't, you should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, you've had a divorce. Oh, you've committed adultery. You've committed adultery. No, but it should leave you in a place where you rightly see your desperate need for his grace and his forgiveness and his healing and the transformation that leads to new life. Amen? And so now he continues on. He talks about oaths. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Quickly on this, he's not saying never swear or, you know, if you take an oath, because guess what? God makes oaths, right? We see it all throughout. The, the, the rainbow is, is a sign of God's promise, of God, of God swearing that he will never flood the earth again. And so he's not saying never, never swear. But these people, again, just like us, we do, we do just crazy gymnastics with this stuff with religion, when we, when we separate our hearts from God and we just say, oh, we got it now, we'll do it, and they would do stuff. And so when he goes on and says, do not swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, that was in their context, they would do this. They would say, well, you're bound to your oath if you're facing Jerusalem when you swear. But if you're not facing Jerusalem and you just swear by Jerusalem, like, you're good. Like that's, like, that's like elementary school kid, like, oh, my fingers were crossed. Like, I know I said, if you give me, like, I'll give you my snack pack if you give me your Coke, and I, you gave me your Coke, but I'm going to keep them both here because my fingers were crossed, and so I don't have to do it. Like, people were really doing that, right? And we do that ridiculous stuff. And Jesus is saying, he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the truth. And if you come to Jesus and your life is transformed by him, then you no longer live in darkness. You no longer have all these, these, these corner-cutting, tax-evading, you know, uh, d dishonest relationship with employer-employee, and I'm, I'm skirting around this. No, he's saying, no, you're being transformed by the very one who is truth. So just live by that truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then he says, you have heard that it was said, verse 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Or more appropriately, do not resist evil with evil. And this is again in our day. I think these next, these last two portions are perhaps the hardest for us. I mean, it's all been hard, right? Who are we trying to kid here? But uh, we need grace, amen? We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us. Again, simultaneously right now, church, we should be feeling, I can't do it. How am I gonna do this? I, it's so hard. It's so difficult. We should be feeling that, okay? That weight should be here. This is, Jesus, you're crazy. Don't go take communion or leave the table and go say, hey, can we go talk outside or call up your mom or your dad or your friend or your roommate and say, can we be reconciled? That's crazy talk, right? Amen? Is that crazy? Okay, don't pretend like, yeah, yeah, I got it, but we really don't. And that's why we say, oh, Jesus, thank you, though, for doing what I could not do, and thank you for now leading me to do what you've called me to do. 
This righteousness that you've really called me to live in, I can't do it outside of you and the Holy Spirit whom you've sent. And I think the Annie gets picked up all the more here with retaliation and loving your neighbor. Do not resist evil with evil. I'll just say this briefly again. I want to go there. I want to go there so much, guys. I'm, I'm here. I've got, I'm, I'm hurrying, though. Okay, I'm exercising restraint. Are you with me right now, though? Are we all together here? Because I know we got a lot of tough guys here. I know we've got this, like, I, th- I wrestle with this, okay? You guys know. It's like, okay, so if my house gets broken into, am I, do I, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, so I've got, I've got rocket launchers under my bed. Like, I, I hold that so I can literally, like, I can blast people. I can blow up my own house and kill whoever's trying to come at me and my family because um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Or are we over here and we're like, notice I'm on my left side right now. Um, or, or I'm over here and I'm like, I'm a pacifist. I'm, you know, I never do anything. This person is coming at me and my family and they're, and they're trying to hurt me or they're trying to hurt or I see somebody robbing someone else, but I'm just going to stay, you know, disengaged because I'm not supposed to resist evil. And these are real questions. I know I'm going a little bit silly here with the extremes, right? Usually those extremes are the loudest voices, by the way, but where, where is Jesus in all this? What's he saying? I, I, um, he, he's saying, like, why are you resisting evil? And when you do it, what's your aim? What's your goal? Do you think it's like, oh, cool, I can do whatever I want now. I can drive a tank because I, you know, I've been given that permission? Or do we live in this place of tension where we need to be, where we look at Jesus. And he goes on and, say, and says, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. Well, what do we do with that? What did Jesus do? Again, I just talked about Jesus turned over tables. He made a whip. He, he was resisting evil. He was angry because the marginalized were being oppressed and robbed. And because God's, God's glory, God's place that was supposed to be for the good of the nations was being exploited. And Jesus went in there and wrecked house. Okay, he resisted evil, but guess what? He was also slapped on the cheek, and he didn't slap back. Because in that moment, he was loving his neighbor as he loved himself. In that moment, he wasn't resisting evil with evil. I, I just, I won't go too much in this, but one story, I am not the hero of this story, by the way, when you hear this, but this is what was wrestling with me. And again, you guys know me, right? Short, little, angry leprechaun. It's like my first propensity is like dukes up. Like I've got a lot to prove. I want to fight. Like, you know, that's my nature, okay? That's my nature. And, and yet, one time I was in um, a Starbucks and um, like four or five years ago and I was studying oddly for a sermon and this guy came in, hopped up on drugs and I was kind of behind a little display and I, I noticed him. He was kind of, and I was like, I don't know what's going on there, but headphones in, I'm blocked out, you know, to the world. And um, it transpired and someone started like making a commotion. I was like, well, and she's like, that guy's attacking this Starbucks worker and you, you know, something's going on. And, and in that moment, I, I did go and I, I, I helped this Starbucks worker and I took the guy down and the police, it held him there until the police came and it was this, and, and, and it was not normal for me that in that moment, I honestly talked to my wife and I started crying actually, because in that moment, um, it was, I was so faced with sin and evil and brokenness. 
And as I held that guy there in a little hold until the police came, and it, um, it was, um, I, I actually kind of, it was, it felt like the police took forever. And I'm like, and, and I had this moment, we actually started talking, it was weird. I was like, <laughs> hey, I'm here with you, you know? And, but literally, it was, I, I, went, I was so broken over what was going on in the sin in this guy's life. And I have addicts in my own family, and I was just thinking, like, man, this could be one of my family members. This could be me. This could, you know, and, and, and in that moment, the, the Holy Spirit was doing a work. And I think I did the right thing by resisting evil in that moment. But nothing in me wanted to. And I was surprised again because usually I'd be like, this is my chance. Like, I'm going to go, right, UFC. Like, I get an opportunity here to live this out or whatever it is. Like, and that's my nature. That's usually where I would go. And I'm sad to say other opportunities, that's been my heart. Like, all right, I get to do this now. Thanks, you know. And, um, and that's not where I was. And, and I think that's what it looks like. I was in this moment of, of, of man, God, God the Holy Spirit that time took over and was um, empowering me to love God and love my neighbor, the Starbucks worker and this guy. And, um, and that's what it looks like. And I just want to share that experientially. That we, man, when you want to too quickly go to here, okay, I no longer need God, or here, I no longer need God. And Jesus brings us to a place, and again, our propensity is usually to resist evil with evil, and he's saying, don't go there. And then he even says, if someone takes you to court and wants to sue you for your tunic, um, give them your cloak as well. And that's, again, in our day, we're like, no way, I'm going to sue you, and I'm going to take your cloak back, and all this. And he is, he is calling out the, just like earlier, in our day, consumerism and greed and lust are our are, 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 are first flinch. That's where we are. And, and he's saying, no, like, what would it look like evangelistically? What would it look like for your own heart, for your own good, to, to if someone sues you, if, someone, if someone's withholding money, if this is going on, and you're, if someone charges you the wrong bill, yeah, try to get it right, but they keep going. What would it look like to to be free from just clinging on like we do. And lastly, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Again, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> love your neighbor, yes. God never says hate your enemy. They had just taken that and run with it. And they're like, we don't have to love other people. We don't have to love outsiders. We don't have to love people different from us. We don't have to love people that might hurt us. And it's crazy. Jesus says... Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Guys, that is unheard of. That's, that's crazy talk. And Jesus can say that because Jesus lived it. Jesus is the one about whom it's said. God shows his love for you that while you're yet a sinner, an enemy of God, Christ died for you. This is crazy counterintuitive stuff. And we're not called to just go and do our best and try harder from here. Okay, love your enemy. Do, good luck with that. Like, it's, it's not going to work that way. But look to Jesus when we take communion, when we respond, as we, we look to, sorry, it's over here now. They're pl playing tricks on me. The cross. We look to the cross and we see that God shows us what it looks like to love your enemy because you and I are naturally enemies of him. And he loved us. And prayed for us as he hung on that cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And through the work of Jesus 
and now empowered by the resurrection of Jesus, you and I are able to love our enemy and pray for those who are persecuting us. And it's crazy, and it's not normal, and it's counterintuitive, and it's not comfortable. And we need each other to figure out what this looks like in everyday life. And we need to to stay in this place of discomfort and coming before God and asking him to bring about the radical transformation that he is calling us to, that he has accomplished for us. Okay, if you're born again, it means now you can live that crazy life that doesn't make sense. It means that you can love your enemy. It means that you can turn the other cheek, which, by the way, in our context, vast majority of the time doesn't mean like someone punches you and you literally turn the other cheek, though Jesus actually had that. It usually means someone slanders you, someone gossips about you, and you don't return it. That's usually what it means for us. And church, as we close, I don't know individually here, what is God doing in in your heart? I took a little bit more freedom today to spend a little longer time because I'm convinced that we're full of a room right now that God is doing work and showing us places in our lives where we have murderous hearts, adulterous hearts, where our marriages are not defined by self-sacrifice and love, where, 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 we, where our yes is not yes and our no is not no and we look for ways to cut corners, where, where we look for ways to retaliate and to, and to take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and we don't lay ourselves down, where we're not living in the freedom that Christ has accomplished for us and where we don't love our enemies but we're always looking out for number one and we're saying, hey, as long as we're cool, I'll love you but once you wrong me, game on. That, that's our tendency and, 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 and Jesus says, no, no, no. I've come to do a radical work. The kingdom of this world, the way of life of this world is going this way, and Jesus says, I'm going this way. And if you put your trust in me, I've sent my spirit to empower you to live the way I've called you to live. And what would it look like for us as a church collectively? Man, what would it look like if we lived in this way? It's different. We're called to be different. We're called to be weird. This is weird stuff. And I don't know all the application points for every one of us individually, but I know that it's good news because Jesus has come to save us and to transform us in order to reshape, radically reshape our thoughts and our feelings and our actions for his glory and our joy and in order to carry out his mission of bringing the good news of his kingdom. Amen.